Hey there, this is Passing Notes with Ashley and Shanda. I am Shanda Sung and I'm a comedian. And I'm Ashley Morgan and I'm a farmer. We have been best friends since we were nine years old. Welcome to our show where we teach each other all kinds of things that cover our wide range of knowledge and interests. And today's episode is about music. Ah, music. We've always been music people. Yeah, I thought you had something prepared to sing. Uh, you usually do. I'd say about a fifth of the episode. The hills alive with the sound of Ashley and Shanda talking on a podcast. <laughs> there you go. That's exactly the type of thing I was expecting from you. I didn't so have it you queued for up. Following through. <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah, we're pretty musical. We're music adjacent. I think we like music. We have no musical talent. We enjoy participating in music. Does anybody else enjoy that we do it? Who knows? No, probably not. <laughs> yeah. Well, we did musical theater when we were in high school mm-hmm. and we sang. Yeah. And were we both in choir in like junior high? Yeah, I did. Uh, I did the like circle the state with song. Did you ever do uh, that? Mm-mm, no. It was uh, they, there would be a group, a small group from schools all over the state of Indiana and we would all learn the same songs and then we would go for a weekend and practice as a giant choir together and then have a performance of the songs that we'd been practicing at school for the past few months. I did it like four or five times, I think. Mm. And it was really fun. You know, I got to know kids from other schools and stuff. There was one year we were in the middle of a performance and they had us all up on risers and the risers collapsed. Oh, no. Yeah. And a kid broke his leg or his arm, I think. But nobody else got hurt, which is pretty impressive because it was like 100 kids. Dang. And yeah, that was the, the hot drama that I remember of all the of all the circle the state with songs <laughs> I was in. That's what stands out to me. I also did a summer camp with the Fort Wayne Children's Choir, and that was pretty fun. And uh, I met some friends there, and the director liked me. And I remember she tried to recruit me to actually be in the Fort Wayne Children's Choir, but it was about fifth grade when I was uh, getting a lot of D's in math, and my parents were like, "Maybe another extracurricular is not what we need to add to your play right now," <laughs> which was probably the right call. <laughs> but yeah, so I did sing a lot when I was younger. And then once I got into junior high, my voice kind of changed and it really, I lost whatever talent or musical acumen I had. Yeah. (laughs) And yeah, that went away pretty quick. I have never, ever been musically inclined. I can't read sheet music. Even though I took choir, I never really knew what I was doing. I just was kind of winging it. And... (laughs) I never had much in the way of rhythm. I was never a great dancer. I was good enough. I love to dance and I love to sing. I'm just no good at it. My rhythm is so bad was, probably still is. (laughs) When I was little, I used to clap off the beat and it would make (laughs) my dad crazy. So when I was probably six, he enrolled me in a dance class But because I didn't have any dance experience prior to that, I was in with like three and four year olds. 
Oh, man. So I was already a giant kid. And then I was a giant six-year-old in with four-year-olds. So I it was awkward. And I guess I learned a little bit of rhythm in that dance class because I did all right. I never learned how to play any instrument. I tried to learn guitar. You tried the banjo for a while. I tried. I took lessons. That was more of a gimmick than anything else. Yeah. (laughs) I just wanted people to know me for something. (laughs) Like being a giant redhead wasn't inconspicuous enough. I had to learn how to play the banjo at 16 years old. I wasn't any good at it. I never really figured it out. Same with guitar. I don't have the finger strength or dexterity. So that's unfortunate. Percussion, I'm okay yet. Yeah. I had an electronic drum kit there for a while that I ended up giving to my nephew. That was a lot of fun. Your dad and your brother are good yeah. drummers, aren't they? Yeah, my dad has been a drummer since high school and has played in bands, you know, since before I was born. And um my brother did play the drums in high school also. But uh, I did not get that gene. (laughs) There were times that I tried and uh, my brother would make fun of me a lot because I would just have like all the movement came from my shoulders. Like my (laughs) wrists and my elbows did not move at all while I was playing the drums. And he's like, why are you like that? (laughs) I can't help it. I'm robotic. I do all of my drumming from the waist. Yeah. (laughs) I just bend at the waist and hit my face on the drum. (laughs) That's how that goes. Yeah. I'm not a drummer. My dad has always wanted me to sing in front of his band, and I've done it a couple times. And um, I don't know. As much as I love karaoke, you think I would like that more, but it just feels like too much pressure i immediately forget the lyrics to every song i've ever known my entire life (laughs) when i'm in front of in front of musicians i think that's what the thing i'm like how do i know when to start there's no like i need dots on a screen that tells me when the singing begins (laughs) and when you're singing with a band the audience kind of expects you to be talented you're a band when you're karaoke no one expects anything from you and they're always pleasantly surprised when you're halfway decent (laughs) yeah yeah can't can't hack it can't handle the pressure i also tried to learn guitar in college freshman year i took a, a guitar class and i took it and it went all right and you know, it's college, so that they tried to do it the right way. They taught me to read music, which I got the very basics of. And then um, I came back the next semester and tried to take the next level class. And I had the same teacher. And I was a week in and he was like, yeah, you're not going to be able to handle this class <laughs> because you haven't learned enough to be in this class. And I was like, Asshole, you were my teacher last year. You know exactly how much I know. You taught it to me. If I'm unprepared for this class, this is a failure on your part, not mine. (laughs) He did not agree, and he encouraged me to drop the class, which I did. (laughs) Like, how are you going to tell me I'm not prepared? You mean you didn't prepare me? Yeah, that's how this goes. Some bullshit. (laughs) I'm I'm not still upset about it. No. No. You don't sound bitter at all. No. Uh, yeah. Carry no animosity for that guy. Martin. <laughs> Still with re- your one weird long fingernail. 
You were very good at guitar, but that fingernail didn't like it. Just buy a pick, dude. Oh, I was going to say, I bet we know what that fingernail's for, but <laughs> I guess it wasn't. I mean, it could have done double duty. Who knows? Well, I'm ready to talk about my musician. Yeah, let's talk about musicians with actual talent. Yeah, that. Yeah, I think that's what the listeners are here for. They're like, we're getting a little tired about hearing about how half-ass you guys are at everything. <laughs> I mean, I'll keep sing. I'll sing if y'all want me to. If it's what the people <laughs> want, I will give them what they want. Let's save that for the Patreon. Let's okay. start a Patreon. You can pay. You can pay five dollars a month and get Ashley and I singing. You can pay fifty dollars a month, and we won't sing anymore. <laughs> <laughs> That's, That's a hell a of a deal. deal. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So I am going to talk today about Bloomington, Indiana's own beloved son, Hoagie Carmichael. Neat. Do you know Hoagie Carmichael? Nope. Great name. He's got a yeah. great name. I was going to say, he's got a fun name. Yeah. <laughs> Hoagie Carmichael was one of the most talented and successful composers of jazz oriented kind of pop music in the 30s, 40s, and 50s. He worked with all the big names of that time and has a huge catalog of songs, some of which are extremely well-known. And he wrote hundreds of songs in the years that he was active and had 50 of what would be considered hit records. Hmm. So pretty prolific as far as a composer. For someone who largely is unknown if you don't live in Bloomington, Indiana. <laughs> but yeah, he was a very interesting guy. And he was born November 22nd, 1899 in Bloomington. And his name was Hoagland Howard Carmichael. And they named him Hoagland after a circus troupe who had come through Bloomington and stayed in the Carmichael home when his mother was pregnant with him. Hmm. So his name was Hoagland. They called him Hoagie. Cute. Cute. I mean, not a choice I would make. I don't, I'm not naming my kids Barnum and Bailey or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, you do you. And his mother, Lida Robinson, was a pianist and a stay-at-home mom mostly, but she would make extra money playing piano for local movie theaters. They were showing silent films at the time. And so she would... That's what silent movies sounded like, right? <laughs> Virtuoso. That's what I am. <laughs> Hoagie's father, Howard Carmichael, had a few different jobs and you know, skipped around a little bit. He drove a horse-drawn taxi, which is fun. Mm. And he worked as an electrician and a carpenter and a few other things. But they would spend a lot of time moving around to kind of go where the work was for Howard. So they lived a lot in Bloomington, but they would move to Indianapolis for a while. They were living in Missouri. And Hoagie had two younger sisters, Georgia and Joanne. And in 1918, they were living in Indianapolis and three-year-old Joanne died of the flu. Aww. And Hoagie took that pretty hard. He really loved her a lot. And he said himself that he was really upset when she died. And he blamed their poverty for her death. And he even said, we couldn't afford the attention she needed. We couldn't afford the doctor she needed. And poverty is what killed her. And I vowed then when she died that I would never live in poverty hmm. after that. 
And so that was some early motivation for him to really be successful. And so his family was living in Indianapolis, but he decided to come back to Bloomington and finish high school. And that's what he did in 1919. He finished high school here and then he enrolled at Indiana University and went there. He got his bachelor's degree in 1925 and then got a law degree in 1926. But he wasn't just going to school in this time. He was working really hard on his music as well. And he had been taught piano by his mother when he was a little boy and just grew in talent. He did have one instructor when he was younger, but mostly he was self-taught and taught by his mom, Lida. And as he got into college, he actually had a band and they would travel around Indiana and Ohio. They were called Carmichael's Collegians. <laughs> and he at one point traveled to Chicago and stayed there for a while and he met several jazz musicians, including Bix Beiderbecke, who was a very successful jazz cornetist and pianist and composer at that time. And on that trip, he also met Louis Armstrong and a few other musicians and formed relationships with them. And he got really close with Bix, and they were very close friends until Bix died. And he wrote his first song for Bix to play. In 1924, he wrote The Riverboat Shuffle, and it was recorded in Richmond, Indiana, at the Garnett Records studio. <laughs> and it ended up being very successful. It was a, a successful song for Bix, and it turned into a jazz staple. <laughs> and that was Hoagie's very first song that he wrote. So he was finding success pretty much immediately. But he graduated and moved to Florida to try to practice law, but he couldn't pass the bar in Florida. <laughs> when you've already had that much success in jazz with your first song, your heart's probably not in law anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think that's probably right. But he was living in Florida. He was working at a law firm and then he just couldn't pass the bar. And he was like, all right, well, I guess I'll go back to Indiana. Came to Indianapolis, passed the bar in Indiana. Fewer laws in Indiana, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. So he started working at a law firm in Indianapolis, but he was devoting pretty much all of his energy to music at yeah. this time. And he was quoted in one of his memoirs. He talked about his songwriting process. And he said, you don't write melodies, you find them. If you find the beginning of a good song and if your fingers do not stray, the melody should come out of hiding in a short time, which is sort of... <laughs> Uh, makes it sound a lot easier than I probably mm -hmm. <laughs> probably is. Mm -hmm. That's something I can't wrap my brain around is writing music. And I think maybe it's because it's so closely related to like math. And that's not my jam. So. <laughs> but, but that quote, it perfectly lines up with how I write jokes, you know? Mm -hmm. The dick joke isn't something that I can force. It just comes out of me. Yeah, don't force your dick on other people. Sorry, dick jokes onto <laughs> other people. <laughs> right. They, you've got to let the, the dicks come organically. Wait, what are we talking about? <laughs> uh, Lord knows. <laughs> I'm sorry. Did it suddenly get sweaty in here? I, just me? What are we talking about? Never been more attracted to you ever in my life. <laughs> well, 
While Hoagie was doing all of that wonderful work organically letting dicks and songs flow out of him, uh, I feel like I'm besmirching his name. Right? Yeah, please don't. He's a nice guy. Don't do We'll talk about dicks. <laughs> anyway, in 1927, he wrote the song Stardust, which was one of his most famous early songs. And that was another one that he recorded in Richmond, Indiana. And later, Mitchell Parrish added some lyrics, and that song took off for him. It was very successful for him. It's been covered by tons of musicians. It was recorded by Nat King Cole, and mm. is a very well-known song. And I believe they have it, the music of it painted on a bridge here in Bloomington. Ah, oh, cool. Which is kind of cool. And... In 1929, he decided to move to New York City to be where the action's at. That's where the jazz is living, you cool cats and kittens. I don't know. That's um, that's, that's Carol Baskins. Carol Baskins. <laughs> he, moved, he moved to New York City in 1929. He worked at a brokerage. He was like, I realized law really was not for me. But he worked at this brokerage to try to make a little money on the side, but wrote a lot of music while he was there. He wrote music and lyrics to a song called Rockin' Chair, which was recorded by Louis Armstrong and found a lot of success. He also, in that time, wrote the song Georgia On My Mind. Oh, I know that song. Yeah, which is maybe his most famous song. It was recorded by a lot of his contemporaries at the time, but then, of course, took off when Ray Charles recorded it and is now the state song of Georgia officially, hmm. which is kind of funny because Hokey Carmichael never lived in Georgia. <laughs> <laughs> it's on his mind. Never been there. Just thinking about it. <laughs> yeah. You know, I said earlier he had a little sister named Georgia. And so there was some speculation that that song was about his sister, but he said it was not, and actually, he didn't write the lyrics to it. His friend Stuart Gorell wrote the lyrics, mm. and he said, we were together, and it was a cold New York City day, and we were thinking about the South and how nice it would be to be somewhere warm right mm. now, and that's sort of where it came from. So it is about the state, and Stuart Gorell even though he wrote the lyrics, his name is not on the copyright for the song officially, but Hoagie paid him royalties for his whole life out of Hoagie's share of royalties anyway. He didn't have mm. to do that. He just did because he knew that was the right thing to do. So that's pretty cool. But in this time that he's living in New York City, he started performing publicly as a solo act. He had sort of performed, he recorded a lot of his own songs and then sent them off to other musicians to be re-recorded. And he, he performed with bands and things, but to be a solo artist, he really started doing that when he was in New York. And he had a very soft voice. And so he was one of the early musicians to rely on amplification. And people sort of scoffed at that a little bit like oh he's got to use all these fancy technologies sort of like people our age uh scoffing at auto-tune <laughs> <laughs> like oh you can't do anything with it but this isn't real talent <laughs> so you know ev nothing changes yeah. everybody's gonna complain about everything but his voice was very soft and he actually described it he said my voice sounds the way a shaggy dog looks he said, I have Wabash fog and sycamore twigs in my throat, 
which is the most Indiana bullshit I've ever heard. Oh, yeah. I'm surprised that's not our state motto. I know. Wabash, fog, and sycamore twigs in my throat. Oh, wow. Yeah. 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 That The Hoosier is just deep in this man's bones, even from yeah. New York City. Uh, while he was living in New York, he met and married a woman named Ruth Mary Minardi in March of 1936. And then... Pretty soon after they got married, they decided to move to California, and they had a son named Hoagland Jr., who they called Hoagie Bix, (laughs) which is just two completely ridiculous names smushed together. Yeah. (laughs) Little baby Hoagie Bix. (laughs) He's out in California, and he signs with Paramount Pictures a deal to be paid $1,000 a week to be their in-house composer. And he starts making music for the movies and does pretty well with that and actually starts working as a character actor. And his first movie was called Topper. It was in 1937. It starred Cary Grant and Hoagie played a pianist kind of in the background in a few small scenes. But he was in a lot of movies, often just playing the piano, playing songs that he wrote. And some of those songs were sung by the leads in the movies. Some of them went on to have commercial success as part of soundtracks and things. And he did really well in California. And while he was there, he he wrote the song Chimes of Indiana as a gift for IU from his graduating class. Hmm. And that's a song that I'm, I've heard before and I'm familiar with. But he also wrote Heart and Soul. You know Heart and Soul. <laughs> Yeah, what every kid learned how to play on the piano in music class. Yeah. That was Hoagie Carmichael. So between Heart and Soul and Georgia on My Mind, those were probably his two lasting legacies as far as songs were concerned. Yeah, that was something I didn't know that until I was researching this, that he wrote that. So that was pretty interesting. In 1940, they had their second son. Get ready. Oh, boy. His name is Randy Bob. Randy Bob? (laughs) Randy Bob Carmichael. Yeah, this family is terrible with names. (laughs) (laughs) I I thought that Wabash Fog Sycamore Twigs thing was the most Indiana thing I've ever heard. But naming your kid Randy Bob, that that beats it for sure. (laughs) Yikes. (laughs) I'm Randy Bob Carmichael. I like fast cars and chewing tobacco. (laughs) That kid was born with a corncob pipe in his his mouth. (laughs) Oh, man. Yes. So uh, shortly after that, the United States gets involved in World War II and Hoagie, along with Irving Berlin and some of the other composers of the time, decide that they're going to help out the war effort by writing some patriotic ditties. Mm. So that's what he did. He wrote a bunch of patriotic songs. I didn't write down all of them. There was one unfinished song called Hitler Blues. (sighs) Can't imagine what that was. But I would love to hear it. (laughs) He probably wrote that towards the end of the war. And he's right in the middle of it. And then he's like, oh, hey, Hitler's dead. Well, don't need to finish this song. (laughs) Crinkle it up. Good job, boys, because this wasn't going anywhere good. (laughs) 
he also wrote in this time, he was getting really ridiculous in this period because he wrote a song that currently holds the Guinness record for longest song title. Oh, boy. Get ready. Okay. It's called... I'm a cranky old yank in a clanky old tank on the streets of Yokohama with my Honolulu mama doing those beto beto flat on my cedo hero hito blues. Pretty sure that's just the whole song right there. That's just the song. <laughs> oh, that was a funky title though. I kind of I was digging it. It was danceable. Yeah. <laughs> I got into it. Yeah. I'm a cranky old yank in a clanky old tank. That's just fun. Mm-hmm. It's a good time. I'm into it. <laughs> uh, yeah, he was very prolific, did a lot of crazy things. He was in 14 total movies. He hosted three separate radio variety programs. In 1955, he divorced Ruth, and later in 1977, he married for the second time a woman named Wanda McKay. But between those times, he wrote some kids' songs. He wrote two memoirs, one called The Stardust Road and one called Sometimes I Wonder, the Hoagie Carmichael story. And twice he tried to write something in the classical music genre, an orchestral piece, and twice they failed pretty miserably. (laughs) (laughs) The first one was called Brown County Autumn. And Brown County is the county right next to Monroe County, which is where Bloomington is. So this was another hometown tribute. It's known for its fall foliage, too. Yeah, it? it is. It's beautiful in the fall. And the other one was called the Johnny Appleseed Suite. Johnny Appleseed, another famous Indiana resident. So uh, he tried to get those two things immortalized in classical music. And people were like, we're not into it. Give us more cranky old yanks and clanky old tanks. <laughs> <laughs> he did have his own PBS show for a while. He hosted lots of specials over the years. And then uh, in 1981, at age 82, he died of a heart attack while he was in Rancho Mirage, California. But he was buried in Bloomington. They brought his body back here and he is buried in the beautiful Rose Hill Cemetery, which is the highest point in Bloomington. And I have gone there to watch the fireworks. It's a good spot if you don't want to go down to actually where they had the, when the fireworks were out at the fairgrounds, the traffic there was terrible. But people would go up and hang out at the cemetery and you could see the fireworks pretty well. And that was a good time. We're just sitting in the cemetery surrounded by a bunch of other people in the dark watching fireworks. Next time I'm in town, we'll have to go check it out. Yeah, yeah, we will. I've not been to his grave, but that cemetery is right in the middle of town, so I go by it all the time. And there are some other tributes to him. Like I said, the music for Stardust is painted on a bridge here in town. There's a really cool statue of him on campus. It's a piano, like a grand piano, and he's sitting at it, and his jacket is laid over the piano. Hmm. And it's really cool. It's in the middle of an area that gets walked through a lot. And so sometimes people will, in the winter, they'll put hats on him and stuff. and <laughs> Or they'll, like, put a, a coffee cup, like, there, like he's drinking it. And <laughs> But that got put up, um, I don't know, about 10 years ago or so. But 
Yeah, so that's uh, Bloomington's famous resident, Hoagie Carmichael. I'm really glad that he was brought back to Indiana. It was only fair because he spent so much of his career writing about Indiana and sprinkling little bits of Indiana in all of his stuff. So the fact that he came back to Indiana is actually really, really cool. Yeah, I mean, he he lived the majority of his life in California. You know, he moved to California in 1936 and he was still there in 1981. But even though he spent all that time there, he still referenced Indiana often Mm -hmm. in his works. And so, yeah, it's really cool that that he's here. And also we have so little. All right. (laughs) (laughs) California has all the dead celebrities. Yeah. Give us Hoagie. Give us this one guy. <laughs> so, yeah, that's Hoagie Carmichael. It was cool to research him because obviously I've known about him ever since I've lived here. Mm-hmm. And he gets referenced a lot, but I didn't know so much about him. So it was cool to go down that rabbit hole. I almost yeah. said Hoagie hole. And then I <laughs> thought better of it. And then I said it anyway. <laughs> so that's me. <laughs> The hoagie hole? The hoagie hole. That's my that's my face. Because I love to eat sandwiches. Shut your pie <laughs> hole. Shut your hoagie hole. Shut your hoagie hole. <laughs> that's a different thing. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I can't wait to hear about the music that you're going to tell us about. And uh, let's hear from our sponsors and then you can enlighten us. All right, and we're back. My person that I'm going to talk about today is famous country music artist Loretta Lynn. Mm. Loretta Lynn was actually born Loretta Webb, April 14th, 1932, in Butcher Hollow, Kentucky. Yeah. She was one of eight kids. And when you have that kind of start, you're destined to become a country music star (laughs) (laughs) when you're born in butcher hollow kentucky (laughs) butcher hollow kentucky yeah one of eight kids yeah that's a that's two for two (laughs) yeah she's well on her way in 1948 at the age of 15 she married oliver vanetta lynn whose nickname was doolittle as a young bride they moved to washington state where she essentially was a homemaker, popping out babies, living that domestic life. At 15, going that far away from your hometown with this guy that you probably don't know that well. And he was older. I'm not sure how much older. I think he was in his early 20s. But yeah, she was still only 15. In 1953, he bought her a $17 guitar, and she spent the next three years practicing. Once she felt comfortable with her guitar skills, she formed Loretta and the Trailblazers with her brother. And they became a band that played around the area there in Washington. And they had great success. In the 1960s, they ended up moving to Nashville. And of course, she became a huge star. She mm-hmm. spent the next several decades singing, writing, creating, collaborating with tons of stars. And she had chart toppers like You Ain't Woman Enough to Take My Man, <laughs> which is an amazing song title. Yeah. 
You ain't you woman enough to take my man. Oh, snap. That's just a, <laughs> that's a sweet dig right there. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's no old cranky old yank in a clanky old tank. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't roll off the tongues. Nah. <laughs> then, of course, what I think is one of her most famous songs is Coal Miner's Daughter. Yeah. Which was about her life and her childhood. Mm-hmm. A lot of her songs were autobiographical. She had a tumultuous relationship with her husband. She was a 1950s housewife. She had children. She saw a lot of things in the world when it came to women's domestic duties that she wanted to write about. Yeah. So she wrote about things like women's issues, divorce, cheating husbands, double standards between men and women, childbearing. And she even wrote a song about the Vietnam War and the draft. She actually was pretty controversial for her time. In fact, nine of her songs were banned from being aired on country radio. Wow. Because of their subject matter. Yeah, that's pretty badass. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, she was pretty badass. So one of her famous songs early on that was a little bit of a scandal but highly popular was a song she recorded in 1966 called Don't Come Home a Drinkin' with Lovin' on Your Mind. (laughs) She wrote this with Peggy Sue Wright. And the song is talking pretty much about what the title says. Don't come home drunk and expect sex. You sloppy fool. Like, (laughs) and so, yeah, that's pretty much what she's saying. Like, uh uh-uh. If you're going to be drinking and acting a fool, you just stay out and get into trouble. Don't come home and bring that mess to me and wanting to like pant and paw all over me. No, you keep that shit to yourself. So that was fun. That's a fun song. Yeah. A lot of her songs were actually very upbeat Mm -hmm. and high tempo, which came across as very feisty and snarky and fun. So here she was writing these kind of upbeat, up-tempo country songs with some subject matter that was <laughs> kind yeah, of scandalous. Pretty heavy. Pretty. <laughs> yeah, pretty heavy. She did have another song in 1966 called Dear Uncle Sam. And this was one she wrote. And this one wasn't up-tempo. It was actually a slow, sad song. And it was essentially about a woman who became a widow when her husband went off to fight in Vietnam. Mm. And it is a heartbreaking song. Really? Listen to it if you want an ugly cry (laughs) because she's singing about how he's it was an honor for him to go over there. He's a very patriotic dude. She'll stay home. No problem. It's her duty. Towards the end, there's this trumpet section that's so melancholy. Mm -hmm. And then at the end, all the music cuts out and it's just her kind of speaking and it's just, oh, I was listening to it and I got a little teary. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. It, it kind of made me cry because I was like, yeah. oh, man, this song is heartbreaking. Jeez. That's a good songwriter to be able to decades later influence somebody emotionally who has not experienced what you're singing about, yeah. but you're still able to get to them. Yeah. Yeah. She also had a song called One's on the Way, and this was actually written by Shel Silverstein. Really? Mm-hmm. 
Interesting. Yeah. It was released in 1971, and it was about a young woman in Topeka, Kansas. She married young. She had lots of kids. Her life was just domestic servitude, essentially. Yeah. Her husband was out doing whatever he wanted, and she was stuck at home with crying kids and messy house. And But she had big dreams, and she... Just talking about celebrities and what they're doing and how other women are on the pill and marching for women's liberation, but not her. She's stuck at home in Topeka, Kansas. Mm-hmm. And so she was able to convey this kind of plight of a young woman. And yeah. she had some experience kind of in that realm. She was in Washington, but. And I'm sure it resonated. Yeah, for sure. You know, when you think back to these movements that happened and they were so significant, it's easy to think back and be like, oh, everybody was in on this. Everybody was participating or or whatever. But how many people were just like, I'm totally on board with the pill that should happen, but I've got responsibilities at home and I can't go march. Mm-hmm. And I have, <laughs> I have to take care of myself, but I would love to go out there and do that. So mm-hmm. I'm sure that resonated with a lot of people. In 1972, she released a song called Rated X. This was one that she wrote. It was about the stigma and gossip and the double standard of being a divorced woman. Hmm. Nobody really gave the husband, who I think in the song he had cheated. Yeah. And so nobody gave him grief about being divorced but everybody looked at her with some side eye and gossiped about her because she was a divorced woman yeah and i don't think that one made radio play because it had very blunt language yeah and country radio is riddled with innuendos and hinting and you say it without saying it and mm-hmm. here she was coming out saying these snarky bitches are gossiping about me and yeah, yeah. You know, she didn't swear in it, but still, she had very blunt language where she's talking about he cheated on me. And yet I'm the one that's getting grief because I got divorced. So, yeah, that one, I think, was one that was banned off of radio. (laughs) (laughs) Probably one of her most scandalous songs, though, was one that she wrote with Loreen Allen, Don McCann and T.D. Bayless. They wrote a song in 1975 called The Pill. Hmm. And it's an up-tempo, fun, feisty song where she is sick of being a housewife with kids. She's going to change. She's changing into hot pants and miniskirts. She's no longer <laughs> a broody hen that just yeah. sits in her nest and makes babies for her husband. She's going to go out and live life because you know what? Now she's got the pill. She doesn't have to do this stuff. She's got the pill. You know, she can actually have relations and have a life and doesn't have to worry about constantly being pregnant and homebound. Yeah. It was a bit of a scandal, but she went on to sing it at various venues and concerts and shows. And that's awesome. People loved it. It was a hit. (laughs) Couldn't play it on the radio, but she still put it out there and yeah it was it was amazing so she was stirring the pot when it came to women's live especially in country music yeah a lot of women in country music still to this day even are just eye candy they're right pretty ladies sing these love songs sing mm-hmm. these duets with famous country men and 
yeah, you can have a good career, but maybe just don't sing about too much of a scandal. And yet she's out there just churning them out like, yeah, I'm famous. I'm popular. These are killer songs. I'm doing it anyway. So screw you. I'm writing about what people are actually experiencing. Yeah. And it may not be the prettiest thing, but it resonates and people identify with this because it's true. It's real. Yeah, especially women. So much of country music was written by men for men. And so here she is, a woman singing about women and about women's issues and topics. So, of course, women listeners are like, hell yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I'm tired of being barefoot pregnant, too. (laughs) I'm going to get on the bill and go out and hang out with some people and march and do all sorts of stuff. So, yeah, she was quite the, the rebel rouser. And that's awesome. She is still alive today. She's 89 years old. She is the most award-winning woman in country music. Wow. She was the first woman to get Entertainer of the Year in 1972. Coal Miner's daughter was on NPR's 100 Most Significant Songs of the 20th Century in 2001. Mm-hmm. Which is pretty amazing. Yeah. And in 2020, there was a statue erected of her in Nashville on the Ryman's Icon Walk, which I'm not exactly sure what that is. I'm assuming it's Nashville's equivalent to a walk of fame. They call it the yeah. Ryman Icon Walk. But there's a statue of her that was erected in 2020. That's cool. She's still performing as of 2016. Mm-hmm. I know she did some shows. She partnered up with Jack White of the White Stripes. And they did some stuff together for a few years. They collaborated. I guess he's a huge fan of her. And she was like, hell yeah, why not? She's (laughs) done a ton of collaborations over the years. So, I mean, she's been in the music industry since the 1960s and is still relevant and still hanging in there. So, yeah, she's a cool lady. And I will try to post links to these songs on our Facebook so you yeah, can listen think, to them. I think uh, we'll we'll need to do that for both of ours. Yeah. So people can listen to some things. I am not and never have been a country music fan, but I'm interested. And I would listen. And though like that older stuff, that's I would have listened to and enjoyed that. Yeah. So, yeah, I have a feeling that I would like like some of that. So I, I'm definitely going to be Googling and and uh, going on a Loretta Lynn tear. Yes, definitely. And, of course, I'm she has give her. give me a pair of cowboy boots and start <laughs> yelling at my husband, don't you come home drunk. You need like, a. Man, I was at work. Would you quit? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now what are you doing? What's your, what is this? <laughs> They're like, Loretta Lynn, baby. She's inspired me. <laughs> We'll be like, I'm on the toilet. Would you, what are you doing? (laughs) Well, I'm kicking down the door to tell you what's what. (laughs) He loves me. He better. (laughs) Presumably. (laughs) Till death do you part. Yeah. Forever. Forever. (laughs) But yeah, that's all I really had to say about... Loretta Lynn, very cool lady, 
check out her songs and I will try to post them on Facebook when this episode airs so we can all all listen together and have an ugly cry over dear Uncle Sam. Yeah. (laughs) And I hope Loretta appreciates the bump in YouTube views that she's going to get because we put her on this podcast. We'll probably get a letter from her. Yeah. Her, Her career is such a success because of us. Yeah, we put her on the map just now. We did it. <laughs> Nobody knew who she was until this moment. Maybe that could be said for Hoagie Carmichael, not Loretta Lynn. <laughs> hey, Hoagie's known in Bloomington, Indiana. That's what, 30,000 people? <laughs> and every music teacher <laughs> yeah. who has to teach heart and soul on the piano to everybody exactly in their class. Yeah. Cool. That was a fun one. I liked it. I'm looking forward to listening to some old ass music. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, when you're not crying over old country songs, what you got going on? Oh, not much. Uh, we're still churning out those TikTok videos. Go check them out. Highly recommend it. It's funny stuff. Ridiculous yeah. stuff. Yes. I have I have two videos that I posted recently. One was a chicken staring in the window while I was watching a game. And I <laughs> I put the music on. I always feel like somebody's watching me because she was peeking in the window at me. I did the yeah. same exact video when the cat was peeking in on me. I put the same music. So it's like the same video twice with two different animals creeping up on me. Yeah. Why do you have so many creeper Oh, animals? man. I tell you what. I have sassy animals, too. They all like to talk to me. Just the cats are meowing at me. The dog's barking in my ear. They're just chatty bunch. All of them. They got something to say. Every single one of them. They're probably complaining about the service is probably what they're doing. (laughs) But yes, if you want some fun, lighthearted animal content, go check us out on TikTok. You can also find us on Facebook, Crimson Moon Farm. And you can also check out our website, crimsonmoonfarm.com. What about you, Shanda? What do you got going on? (laughs) Well, I do want to say... We have had some fan feedback mm. from uh, my friend Michelle, who has been catching up on a bunch of episodes. I saw her last night and she goes, tell me more about meat birds. <laughs> What's going I was like, the meat birds are in the freezer, man. And she's like, I'm a couple episodes behind, but I'm just, I keep hearing about these meat birds and I feel like you guys need merch. So if you want a t-shirt, that says passing notes with Ashley and Shanda and then says meat birds on the back of it or something. (laughs) Hit us up because that can be that could be our new merch. (laughs) Well, Michelle, if you're listening, I have turkeys, too. I have turkeys. Oh, yeah. I'll put some turkey videos on TikTok and Facebook. Go check them out. (laughs) Maybe that's what we should call our listeners. Bunch of meat birds. (laughs) Meat birds. Uh, Yo. Thanks for tuning in, you meat birds. <laughs> she was just, of all of the things that we talked about in all of the episodes that she listened, because she was binging to catch up, she was invested in the meat birds. I'm like, <laughs> I, we talked about a lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah. She was, yeah, all in on the meat birds. So if you uh, have that or any other merch ideas you would like to see, definitely get a hold of us. Beautiful. But, uh, yeah, as far as me, at the time that this comes out, really the only show I have coming up is November 19th at the Byler Lane Winery in Auburn, Indiana. I'm getting that book now. I'm I'm excited about the lineup. I think 
you guys are really going to enjoy it. So if you're in that area, definitely come out and have some wine and party with us and listen to some good comedy. So you can find me on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok. Is that all of them? Shanda sung at all of those. And you can find the podcast on Facebook or Instagram, Passing Notes with Ashley and Shanda. Hit us up. Tell us about what obscure musicians you like. We'll make a playlist. We can get a Spotify playlist going. Oh, my gosh. So we're going to have a travel reality show of all the places we talk about. We're going to have a book club list of all the books we've talked about and a Spotify playlist. (laughs) Yes. I think the only thing that I will actually be able to pull off is that Spotify playlist. It takes almost no work. (laughs) I'll make the reading list. Tyler can get on organizing the reality travel show because that's going to take a lot of work. And I just want to show up like the talent does. (laughs) Yeah. Curlers in my hair and like a beautiful traveling case and he can just whisk us off. He can just take us by a plane, by a private plane. He can be our personal pilot. Done and done. Like we already don't have him doing a ton of work for us already. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. He was the only one who asked for advice on the Facebook posts about our uh, siblings episode. He was complaining about the boss ladies as if as if we are in charge of anything here. (laughs) Yeah. He's like, what should I do if my bosses are riding me? And I'm like, "Uh, suck it up and take it. It's an honor to be working with them. It's pretty much what I said. (laughs) I mean, he could like he holds all the power. He could just make one episode that is nothing but fart noises, and we have no way to do anything about that. (laughs) No control. (laughs) We are completely powerless. We probably shouldn't tell him this. (laughs) If he thinks we're in charge, then that's probably for the best for us. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Oh, man. So, yeah, get on and interact with us. We love to hear from you. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts right now, rate and review the show because that is really helpful to us so thank you so much for listening to this show we're coming up on 30 episodes which is exciting i hope you hang in with us for the next 29 (laughs) and however many we do after that and i especially hope that you share the show with your best friend absolutely as always we'd like to thank my husband tyler for recording producing editing this show please be gentle when you edit this one (laughs) we love you and we're in charge remember who's in charge here (laughs) for shanda song i'm ashley morgan join us next time on passing notes with ashley and shanda shanda say something say something if you see something say something come on and party tonight it's from an episode of brooklyn 99 which i have been oh boy Sandberg's hot in it. He's hot in a lot of things. That's true. That's good. That was not, that was clunky. I like, I'm very well researched today, but my banter is a goddamn mess. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>